You are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. It's great to be with you this morning, and I'm excited about what God has to say to us. You know, as Americans, we tend to lose things pretty readily, and so if you just Google what are the top things that we lose, like number one is keys. Have you ever said, man, I can't find my keys? Anybody lose car keys? Um, we lose phones really bad. I was on the phone not long ago, and I was saying to the person I was talking to, hey, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to let you go because I've got to get in my car and leave, but I cannot find my phone, and I was actually on my phone. We lose things like our phone chargers. Uh, I've bought a lot of phone chargers in my life. Anybody else have bought extra phone chargers because you lose them somewhere? We tend to lose socks, or should I say sock? Because actually we don't really lose both of them, we just lose one. That's how we know we've lost one, because there's one sock. I've got in my drawer, in my closet, I'm not making this up, one athletic sock that I really like. And I don't know why I don't throw it away. I think I'm just pining and hoping that one day its mate will come home, but it hasn't done it so far. We lose remote controls, which is odd to me, because it's always in the room the television is in. When my girls were small, if we lost the remote control of the TV, we were like, just stop everything, all hands on deck, everybody to the family room, we've got to find the remote because life can't really go on without a remote control in our hands. But there's this other level of loss. You know what I mean? It's like when we lose things like uh, games, like college football games. Or maybe when they're just way too close for comfort. Can I get a witness in the house this morning? Yeah. But what about Snoo winning that ball game yesterday? Can we get a shout out for that? Yeah. Um, we lose things that, that are important, but they're not as important as some things. So let me just start a list with you here a little bit, and we'll spend some time in it because I think it's valuable to us. Sometimes we lose things like our temper. Yeah, I'm really sorry. I lost my temper. I feel bad. Or we lose maybe things like patience. Or we lose self-control. Sometimes people lose jobs. Interesting stock market the last couple of weeks. Sometimes we lose money. Sometimes we lose our home. Sometimes we just lose things that matter. And then there's this kind of uh, physical side. When we get older, we lose our hair. Or at least we lose the original color of our hair, right? Or sometimes we lose a tooth. For kids, it's kind of a neat deal. Hey, you lost a tooth. Cool. I've never had an adult my age come up and say, Hey, Pastor, lost a tooth. <laughs> okay, here's your quarter. We lose our ability to hear. I said we lose our ability to hear at times. We lose mobility. We lose good health. But then there's this other level. I know I've gone down one more, but then there's this other level. And this level is where we lose things that sometimes you can never get back, like respect or self-respect or respect for others. Sometimes we lose things like integrity. When Jim Dobson was interviewing Ted Bundy, a serial killer, trying to understand how in the world you get to this place in your life that you could do something so terrible, Ted Bundy said to Jim Dobson, once you lose your integrity, 
Everything else is easy. Sometimes we lose innocence. It's often that somebody stumbles into my office and says, Pastor, the reason I'm here is because I used to be innocent, but I'm no longer innocent. Now I feel very guilty. Innocence has been lost. We can lose self-worth. We can lose influence. We can lose dignity. What happened? I don't know. I think I lost confidence. Sometimes people say, I don't know who I am anymore. It feels like I've almost lost my identity. Sometimes I'm with people who loses hope. And sometimes I have conversations with people who have really lost faith. And sometimes I talk to people who have lost trust in other people. And sometimes I'm with people who lose a sense of security. That life really is going to be okay. Because life is really going to be okay. I know that life can be hard. And I know it can be challenges along the way. And I know that you can, you know, have losses. But as long as you walk with Jesus, life is going to be okay. And the worst possible scenario, which is really the best possible scenario, is that you go to heaven. Sometimes people lose unborn babies. And sometimes we lose people close to us in death. And so, could we just have one of those conversations where it would be like if you and I were the only two people in the room and I just looked you in the eye and just said, hey, would you talk to me for a minute about what you've lost in the last year or so of your life? Because when I've had those conversations over these last several weeks with people as I've been preparing for the sermon... Nobody has ever not given me an answer. Everybody has been able to say, Pastor, this is what I've lost. And today, I stood in the foyer after first service, and people walked by me, and they just waited for a while to talk to me and shake my hand, and most of them wanted to tell me, this is what I've lost. Because with every change, even if you love the change, even if you're excited about the change, every change that comes into your life comes accompanied with some kind of loss. And so probably most of you are kind of thinking with me now. And many of you have said, okay, I know what it is. This is what I have lost. So I tried to find a a definition for the word that I would love, one that I would want to put on the screen, one that I would want to share with you. But I didn't. I found one that I don't like at all. It's a terrible definition. No matter what you do with the word, there's not a good definition. And loss simply means to no longer have something or someone. I mean, think about it. It's a huge downer, isn't it? There's nothing positive you can hardly say about loss. It's just all negative. It's not inspiring. It's not encouraging. You don't walk out the door saying, yes, we can conquer this. It just hurts. It's coming to this place in my life that I look at myself and I say, okay, I have lost something, or I've lost someone. And many times we also conclude, I will never be able to get that back. It's gone. And so here's what I want to say to you this morning that I think can give you some permission. And it's simply this, that even if you love God, even if you love God with all of your heart, even if you love God deeply, Loss can become a giant in your life. Even if you love God, even if you say, I love Jesus so much, even if you love John Wesley, loss can become this massive giant in your life. 
And so we are, we are studying the life of a man whose name is David in the Old Testament. And David is this young man when we meet him. He's been anointed by a prophet of God to be something great, but he's not something great yet. And so he finds himself going to a battle where his brothers are enlisted in the king's army whose name is Saul. And he goes to take them food. And as he goes to take them food, there is this giant present in the Philistine army. And the giant will come out every day and taunt the Israelites and say, Come on, send one man to fight me. And David finds himself standing in front of a giant named Goliath. Now, we love the story. And the reason we love the story is because it's this, you know, the underdog becomes the hero. The little boy kills the big giant. And the big giant has a big sword and he has a shield bearer and he has all this stuff. And David only has a sling. And he kills the giant and the giant falls. In fact, his whole story is this underdog story, becoming the hero. He, he is not somebody in his world that is popular or famous by any means. He's the eighth child in the family, and in that world it meant something. But it didn't mean something good. And he becomes a shepherd, the lowliest job in his society. But then he becomes one day the king of the nation of Israel, the chosen people of God. We love his story. But what we've learned in his story over these last few weeks together is that, is that the Goliath was not the only giant that he would ever face. In fact, he would face many giants in his life like you and I face many giants in our lives. And when we talk about giants, we're talking about, you know, major problems, what seems to be, you know, insurmountable struggles and challenges, things that we say, I don't know what to do. This thing is huge. I can't conquer it. I can't defeat it. I don't know what to do with it. And one of the giants that he faces is loss, just like you have faced loss. So let me share some scripture with you, okay? Here's what happens with David. After the death of Saul, David returned from his victory over the Amalekites, and he spent two days in Ziklag. And on the third day, a man arrived from Saul's army camp. He had torn his clothes. Now, I know that sounds weird to you and me, so we wouldn't tear our clothes. Even when we go to funerals, we don't tear our clothes. But in that day, it was a symbol of mourning. So they tore their clothes and they put, this man rather put dirt on his head to show that he was in mourning. And so he fell to the ground before David in deep respect. And so here's what David asked. Where have you come from? I escaped from the Israelite camp, the man replied. What happened, David commanded. Tell me how the battle went. And so the man replied, our entire army fled from the battle. Many of the men are dead. So now we're talking about loss, right? And Saul and his son Jonathan are also dead. David and his men tore their clothes in sorrow when they heard the news. They mourned and they wept and they fasted all day. For Saul, their king, his son Jonathan, David's very best friend, and for the Lord's army and the nation of Israel because they had died by the sword that day. When you experience loss in your life, how do you process it? So I often talk to some of my pastor friends here who are 
working with me about sermons that I'm preaching. And uh, so I was talking to Pastor Timmy Riggs and um, Pastor Casey Meyer about this sermon a few weeks ago. And uh, Timmy said, there's a book you ought to read, and it's by a guy named Levi Lutzko. But whatever you do, don't make the mistake I made and take the book into a coffee shop and read it there because you really freak people out when you cry that hard in a coffee shop. So don't, don't do that. And Casey said, yeah, I read it in the same room with my wife, Kate, and I would just like read for a while and then look up at Kate and cry for a while, and then I would read some more. So it's called Through the Eyes of a Lion Facing Impossible Pain, but Finding Impossible Power, Incredible Power, rather, by Levi Lusco. Do you ever listen to him preach? Anybody? Podcast? Levi Lusco? Okay. He's popular in other parts of the country. I'll put it that way. So anyway, here's what happens. He and his wife... Never expected, so I I just hate to do this to you, but I'm just going to tell you, it's going to get heavy, okay, that five days before Christmas, their five-year-old daughter would suddenly go to heaven. I know, after an asthma attack, of all things. He writes, death, our great enemy, doesn't schedule an appointment. It doesn't knock before entering. It doesn't call ahead. When death came to our home, it blindsided us. To say that we weren't expecting it puts it mildly. It came out of nowhere. Delivered a sucker punch so fast that we didn't have a chance to even think about flexing. It knocked the wind out of us and left us rather grasping for breath on the floor of an emergency room. My wife Jeannie and I, we held each other and we begged God for a miracle until the doctor appeared to tell us there was nothing they could do. And then we pushed past him and around behind the curtain. We fell on our knees and we pleaded for the God who made the sun to stand still and raised Jesus from the dead to send our little five-year-old girl back into her body. But instead the sun set. And there was no miracle. And her body remained motionless. And she was pronounced dead. There's no way this can be real. Levi says, though we were afraid, we never believed we were alone. And everything we preached in the sunshine, we believed in the valley. And so we lifted our hands into the air, right there, sitting on the emergency room floor. And we blessed the name of the God who gives and takes away And we confessed our faith in the resurrection of Jesus. And we put our hope in Him anew. And we knew in that moment we were sitting on holy ground. But he said leaving the hospital without her was nearly intolerable. It went against everything in us, every instinct in me. How could you walk out of a hospital without your daughter? He says, you know, it was 32 days. Count them, 32 days before I could make it through a day without crying. And after a month of nonstop tears on that day when they didn't come, I felt nothing but numbness. 
I had to include these words. I'll never be able to escape the awfulness of those early days. Waking up, running from my bedroom to her empty room, panicking, delirious with grief, falling to the floor, shaking and feeling my bones ache, collapsing on her bed and holding her little clothes to my chest. And I'll, I'll stop with this. When, when your heart is broken, colors lose their brightness. And the world seems gray. And the ground is unsteady. And food tastes like ash. Your stomach flutters in a free fall. And it doesn't stop. And your fists ball up, but there's nothing to fight. And to scream, screaming, heaving, panic rises in your chest. And it can't be outrun, and it won't be shut down, and it refuses to be put out. Boy, Rick, you've taken us to a heavy place. I, I know it's, it's, it's the sermon. But, but the reason that I think it's important is because we live with a false narrative. It's not scriptural, but it's the way the world seems to think, and sometimes it rubs off a bit on those of us who walk with Jesus. And the false narrative is born out of this idea of cause and effect, and that is that if you do bad, you should expect to get bad back. It's kind of this idea of karma. But if you do good, you could expect to get good back. And so when you translate that into church world, it simply says that if I live a good life, and I love God, and I love Jesus, and I love John Wesley, then nothing undesirable should really come into my life. In fact, my life should be really good. And it's just not scriptural. In fact, example after example says this is not true. And one of the best examples that I can give you is in the story of the life of David himself. Because when David was really in a, living rather a really good life, when he was walking really close to God, when he was living in really good obedience, when he was doing all the right things and saying all the right prayers and responding to God the way that God wanted him to respond to him, David still suffered loss in his life. And when David was doing really bad and when David was in detestable sin, he still experienced loss in his life. And Levi Lutzko is a popular preacher for heaven's sakes. And his five-year-old daughter dies. And so it's just not true. We all experience loss. No matter who we are. So I'd, I've loved for years a writer whose name is uh, Max Licato. 
And, and when he talks about loss, he says, he says this changes everything. Now, you didn't misunderstand me, I don't think. I didn't say this. I said dis, D-I-S, changes everything. And here are his words. He says, with dis, obey becomes disobey. And respect is suddenly disrespect. This one's hard. Ability becomes disability. But this one is the toughest one. Grace becomes disgrace. And Lakato says it's all because of dis. He says, I don't know that there's three more potent letters that you can put together in the English language. And he said, I don't know that there is a better example of their power than in the word appointment. Because he says with dis, appointment becomes disappointment. Now, most of us love the word appointment. And the reason that we love the word appointment is because it gives us some predictability in a very unpredictable life that we live. And so we often talk about the fact that I have appointments. What are you going to do today? Well, I've got (laughs) four appointments. I know where my day is going, buddy. I don't know if you know where yours is going, but I've got a plan. All right? See, I'm, I'm adding predictability into my future. I have appointments. Lakato says when, when you add this to appointments, it becomes a disappointment. And it's this idea that I want to know what my future is going to be. And I envision a future and I have dreams about a future. I have appointments in my future. But now you're telling me that that future is a disappointment. And he says, so in loss, we not only suffer sorrow. But we suffer disappointment. I think there's something we can learn from David. And so I want to take you back to uh, many of these words that he gives us, okay? Throughout his life story. So grief comes over and over again. He and his men, let me remind you of the words I read earlier, tore their clothes in sorrow. When they heard the news, they mourned and wept. When, when you get to another story in David's life, and he loses this little baby boy, he, meaning David, went without food and he lay all night on the bare ground. The elders of his household pleaded with him to get up and eat with them, but he refused. And so you may be saying, David, what is it with you, man? Pull your life together. No, no, there's more loss. This is when his son Amnon died. And if you remember the story, it's a horrible story. One of his sons kills his other son, and David mourned many days for his son Amnon. And then when Absalom died. The king, meaning David again, was overcome with emotion. He went to the room over the gateway and he burst into tears. And as he went, he cried, Oh, my son, Absalom, my son, my son, Absalom, if only I had died instead of you. He grieved. If you've ever thought grieving is a bad or a negative thing, It's not. It's actually a gift. It's a good thing. It's something God has given us. Jesus grieved. Look at these words. John 11. Jesus cries. Why? Because his friend Lazarus has died. How long did he weep? I don't know. It doesn't say. What kind of crying was it? That's all the information we have. I mean, I've been with people a lot. 
people who have lost somebody, like just learned of that news. And I've listened to them cry many times. It's a different kind of cry. It's a different sound that comes out of a person when you're grieving the death of somebody that you love. And I wonder if Jesus' cry was like that cry. I don't know. All we get is that Jesus cried. Jesus wept. Jesus was okay with grieving. And, and what we learn is that grieving is normal and natural. It's the natural emotional response to loss. It's okay. In fact, it's good. In fact, it's important. This is not like losing your car keys. You don't just say, I'm going to bow up, or I'm just going to man up, or I'm just going to get busy, or I'm just going to avoid the issue, or I'm just going to throw myself into my work. No, it's sometimes you have to grieve. It's the emotional suffering we face when we feel that someone or something is taken away from us. And so I think what we learn in David is that Grief is not only normal and natural, but it's important. And you should let yourself do it. My grandmother died when I was in seminary. My dad didn't show a lot of emotion, and so I grew up assuming that he just kind of bottled that stuff up. And I remember the day that all of that emotion came running out of me. How are you going to conquer a giant called loss? You remember the four steps we've been talking about for these last three weeks? You admit, I can't conquer the giant. David said, God will conquer you. This is God's battle. And number two, you focus on God and not the giant. Everybody else is talking about the giant. David only talks about God. And number three, you remember God's faithfulness. Man, when I lost here, God brought me through. And when I suffered great loss here, God brought me through. And when I suffered loss here, God brought me through. Guess what God is going to do this time? God is going to bring me through. And then number four, you face your giant. So I have a friend and... um, we were talking not too long ago about a season of his life that was the toughest season of his life he's ever been through. He's a pastor like I am, and he has daughters like I have. And about maybe 10 years ago or so, one of his daughters began walking down this path of just destruction. All she could see in life that was of any value was just the next party. They never believed this would be their story. They never believed this would be their narrative. He said, I got to the point that I didn't know if I should keep pastoring my church. I went to my board and asked them to pray with me. Should I resign? Should I step away? Should I step down? But he reminded me of one one night, one Saturday night. She did not come home. And finally, it was up into the early hours of the morning. They finally found her, got her home. She was junior high. He said, we hadn't slept all night. And when we finally got her home, it was an hour and a half of just total chaos. Nobody had slept. My wife says to me, I'm sorry. 
I can't go to church with you. I'm emotionally wrecked. I know you have to go, but I can't go. And I'm sorry you have to go by yourself, but you have to go by yourself. I'm not going. I just can't do this today. And so he said, I get in my car and I drive myself over to the church. And I feel like I have nothing that I can give anybody. And I've got to preach. And I had this psalm in my sermon that I was going to quote that day. And I started to share these words. In my desperation, I prayed. These are the words of David. By the way, this is David's secret. By the way, this is David's hope. This is David's help. In my desperation, I prayed. When I feel lost, you know what I do? I pray. And the really good thing is that God hears me when I pray. That's awesome. So when you pray, you're not just talking into the air. You're talking to somebody. Somebody is on the other end of the prayer, and that somebody is God. In my desperation, I call out to God, David says, and the Lord listened to me. And when you pray, God listens to you. And I love these words. He said, I read these words that day. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. And he said, my heart was broken that morning. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. He rescues. Okay, you've you got to get with me for a minute. Because I'm not just saying that he, he, he knows when you struggle or He loves you when you struggle, or He hears you when you call out to Him, or He understands what you're going through, or He suffered too. No, we're going to go beyond that this morning, okay? The Word of God says He rescues you when you're crushed in spirit. Yeah. You know what that means? There's life after loss. And I've watched it happen over and over and over and over and over again in people's lives. They've suffered great loss, loss that is beyond anything I can ever imagine suffering in my life. My heart has been broken for them, and I have watched them smile again. And I've watched them live again. And I've watched them be rescued by the grace and the love and the mercy of God to the point that there was life after loss. So Nat and I jumped in the car yesterday and we ran around to some hospitals and one stop that we made was to see a guy whose name is Mark. He's on like a four-week hitch in the hospital. He's in this fight for his life. The giant is cancer. And he's doing a stem cell transplant. He's in the middle of it. He's laying in their bed, shaking with fever. And he says, the day that I found out on Friday, and I got to church on Sunday, I wanted somebody on the staff to pray for me. And my sister said, I'll go find somebody. And she came back with Barbie Moore. And he says, oh, pastor, you should have heard this prayer that Barbie Moore prayed for me. I said, you still remember it? He goes, I'll never forget it. And he talked about how Barbie and Harlan have just continued to 
just be pastors and how Louis McLean has continued to be a pastor to him. Aren't you thankful for people like Harlan and Barbie and Louis who just love on people who are fighting giants? I just love it. I'm so thankful for them. And then he gets into this conversation. I know, but you've got to hear this, okay? He says, he says this to me. He says, um, you know, this is hard. I mean, he's literally laying there racked with fever, you know, because the white blood cells are just doing crazy things right now in his body. And I wouldn't want anybody to go through this. I wouldn't wish it on anybody. And I know it's cancer, he says. But through this whole thing, I have found life. I said, Mark, I get it. I've talked to people who have gone through something like what you're going through. And they say that to me. I would never wish this on anybody. I would not ever want anybody to have to experience what I've experienced to fight the giant that I'm fighting. But I would never want to be the person I was before I went through this battle. Because God has changed me. So, so you've lost something. Let me tell you something. There's life after loss. It's not the same. I'm going to be honest with you. It's different. It's not the normal you were used to. But there is life after loss because God res rescues His people who are crushed in their spirits. And God will rescue you. Now, I'm, I'm finished, but i got to say this before these guys start singing. So come on up, if you will. You know this. I believe you know it. I want to remind you of it to make sure you remember that Jesus, one who would come in the line of David, right? Jesus, one who would come in the line of David. You understand that he has conquered death, right? All loss. They put him on a cross. They put him in a tomb, but the grave and death cannot hold him because in the resurrection, he conquers even the loss of death. Wow. And that resurrection power is in you as a follower of Jesus. And you can conquer the loss in your life through His grace. So let's profess our faith in Him. Let's be like Levi and Jeannie Lutzko who on the floor of an emergency room raised their hands and gave God praise. Would you stand? And let's worship Him. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at BethanyNaz.org.